So when you get saved, your body, you don't spontaneously combust, leave a sweet smell behind with the smoke, and then you're in heaven, right? You don't. You're still in the body. You're still in this flesh, and you still have a bent, a crooked um, desire in opposition to God. So what are we supposed to do? What are we poor Christians to do? We just give up? I'm so awful. I'm terrible. I'm done with this. Right? No, wrong. The Bible says, Christian, you're justified. All right? Your past sins, your future sins, not credited to your account. You stand before God blameless. And in that, you are invited into a fight for increasing holiness that God can win in you, that God will win in you. You are welcomed into this war to fight your old desires that still creep up and that you still have, but you're invited into that from a winning position. So you're no longer a slave to these old desires And Pastor Cruz's sermon illustration with the kids was really helpful. The opposition that they feel. You're no longer a slave to those with the Holy Spirit replacing your desires for an affection and a love for God. You're not enslaved and entrapped by the old desires. So that's what today is. That's what Paul gets to in our text today. He explains a war. And he explains this war that we're talking about. So Galatians has been the book that we've been preaching through for like a year. I just word, learned the word lean to the other day. It's when you put like a stick in a, in a cardboard or something up, and then you live inside this thing. So that's what we've been doing with the book of Galatians. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's what we've been doing. We've been living in and living under the book of Galatians, God's word. This morning's chapter 5, uh, verse 16. And because in Romans 8, Paul does a lot of the same Um, He gets at a lot of the same things that he's getting at in Galatians 5. I'll use that. So if you're a person who brings your Bible and you like to keep your fingers stuck in the pages, we're in Galatians 5 and Romans 8. Okay, Paul says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so he explains what this war is or he explains who's in the war. It's the Spirit and the flesh. Walk here is figurative for live. He's basically saying, live your life by the Spirit. Live your life empowered by the Spirit. And then if you look in your text, notice that the S in Spirit is capitalized. This is the Holy Spirit, right? It's not live a spiritual life with the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees and the animals and what goes around comes around. Paul's saying this is the Holy Spirit This is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is real, is active, is living inside of the Christian. So Paul's big point in this sentence is, live your life in the power of the Spirit rather than living your life to gratify, to satisfy your flesh. So I want to get at what's Paul mean by flesh, what's he mean by spirit? And a few verses later, he'll get into some specific outpourings of the flesh, some specific, what he calls, fruit of the Spirit. But this morning, I just want to talk at these things in a general category. And let's start with the flesh. So biblically, the flesh can mean this. Just your natural self. 
If you're living right now, you've got skin, you've got blood, you've got bones. And so like in 1 John it says, the word, Jesus, became flesh. All it's saying is that Jesus came to earth and he had one of these, a physical body. But flesh can also mean and can also designate the corrupted heart, the corrupted will that we as humans have since the fall. So in Romans 8, 7, Paul says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So in other words, the soul that is set on the urges of the natural self, the heart that is aimed at sinful desire, the mind that wants itself more than God, opposes God, doesn't want God. So when I read that, I think of Japanese fighting fish. Does anyone know? I think most people know what they are. They are completely calm and docile and beautiful in a bowl by themselves. They just swim around. But what happens when you buy another one and you put them in the same tank? I grew up with kids who liked to do that kind of stuff. No one else, no one else had that, that past. They would like bet on these things. It's awful. It's a bloodbath, right? That's what happens when the spirit and the flesh get in the same bowl together. The flesh is a bent condition towards God, right? It's the sin and self that we're born with because of Adam and Eve, and it's called the fall. So in my gospel community, we've been doing what we call story of God, story of God, and some of you might be familiar. But we're just for 10 weeks hearing part of the story, so God's Bible is just told in a short story form, and then we just discuss what's going on in it. And we've been in the beginning of the story, so we've gone through Adam and Eve, and what's amazing about it is when you hear it and then you start talking about it, is you go, oh, that's what that is. That is just like me. Adam and Eve's story is like my story. Where you could say, God's story that he's put there is my story. This is the same thing. It's, it's earth-shattering when you realize that in the story of God, it's speaking directly to your own experiences in, the, in what you've been living through in your life. So Adam and Eve's story is rejection of God, guilt in the rejection, and then shame because of the guilt. So they hide, and then ultimately death. And so that's our story. That's the same thing. We all play parts in this rejection, guilt, shame, death drama. That's, what we're, that's what's going on here on this earth. And that's flesh. That's flesh. It's this, it's this condition that you're born into that opposes God. So here's something that has stuck in my mind forever that I will give to you. I will put it out there by way of explaining. This is flesh. When I was six or seven, I was sitting on the counter in my kitchen, and I don't know how I got there or why I got there or why I wasn't supposed to be there. Maybe it was just because I was sitting on the kitchen counter. So I don't remember much about it. I just know that at that time I probably deserved a, a, a swift beating. So my mom comes up to me and she's like, she's loving, she's motherly. She says, come down. Come off the counter. And I said, no. So she was loving, but she said, no, you come down now. No, I'm not coming down. And so she comes over to me and I took my dad's, this container that he kept his coffee in, one of those thick metal ones with the latch, you know those joints that you latch down? I took it and I went boom off her forehead. Terrible. Um, that was a six or seven year old displaying flesh. 
right? I rejected God by rejecting the love and obedience I was supposed to have from my mother by physically harming her. I did this because I thought I was God and I wanted to be God and I thought I could do whatever I want. But I'm not God, and so what happens when I do what I want? People get hurt, right? I hurt my mom. So I know I'm guilty at this point, no doubt. My mom has a mark to prove it. I know when dad comes home from work, those cheeks are going red. I know it. So I know I'm guilty, but I remember sitting in my room, and I don't remember how, the punish, how all the punishment went down. I just don't remember. It's not that like my dad beat me to blackout stage, and I don't remember. That's not what happened. But I do remember feeling the shame. I was totally ashamed of what I did. I looked on it, and I was like, that was not... That was not a good son. I remember feeling that. And honestly, even now, it's only because I have the cross and realize that I'm forgiven in Jesus that that I can even talk about something so horrible that I did to my mom. And that's only an example of being a little kid and doing this. But that's the flesh. Self centered, wants self, self focused, self determined, in love with itself. So, If you've ever seen a 16-year-old mom with a baby infant and without a husband, you know what that is? That's there was some 16, 17-year-old boy, little kid, who said, I love you. You're my boo. I'm going to take care of you. Whatever he said to her. But he didn't, right? What he was really in love with was himself and what he could go and tell his friends in his pride. And so he sleeps with this girl and sins against her greatly. And the ramifications of his sin, what's happened now, is she gets pregnant. What's he supposed to do? Man up, right? Turn to Jesus. Repent of your sin. This girl that you sinned against greatly, make her your wife. Make sure this baby is protected, has food, is clothed. Make sure this baby has a loving father in its life. But what does that little boy do? He flakes out. He doesn't want the responsibility. He wants to just sit around, smoke weed, play video games, and hang out with his friends. He doesn't want the responsibility. He wants what's easiest for him. So he leaves, he finds another girlfriend, he does it again. So that's the flesh. The flesh has a million impulses that want to be satisfied, that want to be desired, that want to be scratched, I call it. So I can describe it like this. The flesh says, I'm itchy, so scratch me. The flesh is like an itch. And that's what Paul is saying in gratify the desires. That word for gratify in the text is like bring something to completion. Bring it to an end. So you've got the itch, you've got to finish that thing, scratch it. Sinful flesh is like that. It wants to be scratched. It screams to be scratched. And the world has a message of, if it's itchy, scratch it. So there are things in our culture that if they're not socially taboo, if your flesh itches to be scratched, just do it like you're supposed to. It's natural. So there there are really only three types of people in this, this flesh condition that I can think of, right? 
And we're dealing with Christianity today. We're dealing of the impact of after Jesus justifies you, after Jesus comes into your life, what does this look like against the flesh? But there's three people. Person one, right? There are those in the flesh, they just don't care. There are people in the flesh that will put a gun to someone's head, kill them, go to court, live in prison the rest of their life, and sleep like babies. There are people that have clean consciences in this. There's people too, person two. These are people in the flesh, but they are wicked ashamed and wicked devastated over their sin. So th- this can be like moral people, right? A guy, who, a guy or a wife who has a husband that cheats on them, gets caught, gets exposed, and then they honestly and truthfully feel remorse and awful guilt and shame over this. It's genuine. But if they don't have Jesus, if they don't have the power of God, if they don't have justification by faith, there's no hope there. So not, that's the worst condition of all. Not only are you not saved by Jesus, but you're tortured by your conscience. You're tortured. You just live under the condemnation of Satan. That's, that's different than person one. And now what we're dealing with today is person three, Christians. Christians. They're justified. They stand before God accepted completely, completely. Past sins, gone. Future sins, gone. But then, and there's a but, you still have sinful desires. You still sin. This is why in the text, Paul even has to say, don't. He has to say, don't. It is an option here. Sinning as a Christian is an option. So what are we supposed to do about the sin? As a Christian, you can ask yourself, what am I supposed to do? You can't live with a clean conscience. You know you can't. Right? Romans 8, 8, Paul says, those who are in the flesh can't please God. If you're born again by the Spirit, your ultimate desire is to live with love for God. You can't live not pleasing him, know it, and be happy. There's no happiness there. There's no joy there. It's not an option. But in your sin, you can't live under condemnation either. You can't live and just wallow in this and think like, I'm damned, I'm dead, I'm awful. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says in our Galatians text, for those who are in the Spirit, they're not under the law. So what's a Christian supposed to do about the flesh? Paul says in Romans 8.13, we're going through 8, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he says in our text. And how? He says, by the Spirit. Okay. Paul's talked about the flesh. Now, what's this walking by the Spirit? He says, walk by the Spirit. What is that? Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds according to the Spirit. So let me paraphrase that. Let me paraphrase that in a way that I think is helpful. For those who live according to their selfishness, bend their minds and their hearts and their will towards living for themselves. 
But those who live according to the Spirit, by the Spirit, bend their minds and their heart and their will towards living in love for God. So living by the Spirit is when the Spirit of God enables and empowers the Christian, works in and with the Christian to create this new desire of love for God, and it steps on the flesh. It stomps on the flesh. It doesn't want the flesh. The new desire, empowered by the Spirit, walking and living in the Spirit, is when you live and walk in love for God. So, this new principle that the, that the Holy Spirit, this person, the Holy Spirit, comes and brings inside the life of the Christian, what's that look like? What does that look like? I'm trying to be practical here. I've met a guy from Haverhill. Um, walking by the Spirit for him was in his 40s. He got converted. He had a great job. He had a flourishing career. He had great influence. He was being promoted. He was going up. He got converted and he quit and he started a small church in Haverhill. So I met him. And for him, this was obedience. God had converted him, saved him, gave him a new love for God and for people. And for him, his call was just, yeah, plant a church. His flesh was, are you stupid? Are you an idiot? Don't do that. That's not safe. That's not good for your family. Keep getting the promotions and raises. But the Spirit created this new love for God and love for people that compelled him to do this. Now, conversely, right, on the flip side, walking by the Spirit is and can be when a guy does not leave his work, when a guy goes to work and works a really hard job and gets tons of promotions and gains influence, and he lives in that job, in his work environment, as a godly influence, as a guy who goes and works really hard for his family to honor God. That's beautiful. That is walking in the Spirit. His love for God compels him to do this. So one of the things that I'm now able to speak to a little bit is motherhood, something I did not understand whatsoever about six months ago. Had a little baby. I'm starting to get it. Okay, I'm starting to see it, not go through it. Um, Walking in the Spirit can look like this. Living in love for God can look like this. When a mom wakes up every morning, she has to completely die to herself and her own desires. She now has this screaming, rude, pooping baby. Right? That is complete death to self. And that is the Spirit of God. And remember, you can do all these things in the flesh, but I'm talking about when this is done in the Spirit, it's done because of love for God. It's done because the Spirit has brought new birth and you do this out of love for God. The temptation of the flesh would be to say, this isn't the life for me. This isn't good for me. This isn't what I want. I can't do this. That's a temptation in the flesh. How do you walk in the Spirit when someone that you know and love gets cancer? How do you walk in the Spirit when someone you know and love gets cancer and dies? Like, what does that look like? Walking in the Spirit then would be a love for God that says, God, you are in this, you are good, I am hoping and trusting in Jesus, no matter what. 
Only by the Spirit of God can you live and suffer incredibly through something like that and still say, my faith, my trust, my hope, my love is in God. This is walking by the Spirit, just examples. Now, I could keep going, right? I I did these examples kind of knowing that I might miss the boat a little bit with some people's specific examples. What is walking in the Spirit for you right now? What is the love of God by the Spirit compelling you towards? Where are the areas where you are putting to death your flesh? If you're born by the Spirit, you know what this is, right? You can, you can see this. You can see this and feel this in your own life. Now, this is where Paul ends up taking this text. He pulls it over in this direction. Notice how in the examples I gave, it sounds like war. It sounds like conflict. It is conflict. God will help you figure out what this looks like for you, what walking in the Spirit looks like for you. In your community, as you're living with other people, discuss where, what this looks like in your own life. Where is it that God is calling you to die to yourself, die to your flesh, and live in love for God? Where are those areas? But I can promise you, and what Paul says is, whatever that looks like in specific examples, I can promise you it's going to be war. It's going to be struggle. And that's what he says with, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So in the, que- the question, what we've been getting at with the Christian is, what does the Christian want to do? They want to live in love and towards love for God. They want to live for Jesus. That's just the basic the basic desire in the heart of a Christian. So the spirit inside just starts to war, starts to war on the flesh, starts to war on those parts of you that fight this desire, that fight the spirit. And the best example I could think of, I know it's outdated completely, but show of hands, anyone seen Nutty Professor? I know, it's ridiculous. I should have used something more recent, but have you seen the Nutty Professor? Most people, okay. When I see this war in the spirit, war in the flesh, you know what I think of? I think of that last scene in The Nutty Professor where this guy, Buddy Love. So there is Professor Clump, right? This is Eddie Murphy. He's Professor Clump. And he's this sweet, he's this innocent, he's this big, lovable guy. He invents this potion. When he takes it, he becomes this skinny, fit Buddy Love. Crazy, dangerous Buddy Love, right? So the last scene of the movie is Buddy Love's up on stage and he's going to demonstrate to the world that he's created this like instant skinny potion. And so he waits until Professor Clump starts to come out of him, right? And you remember his hand goes huge and he starts choking himself, his foot goes huge, he starts kicking himself. And Professor Clump is fighting with Buddy Love and Buddy Love is like, no, you can't. And Professor Clump's like, yes, I can. And he defeats him, right? That's the end of that. What am I saying about the flesh and the spirit? Am I saying the spirit is Professor Clump? Am I, saying the fle- am I saying the flesh is Buddy Love? Kind of. Not really. You can't press it too far, but it's that analogy of you're one person. Your desires really are for the spirit. The spirit is a real person inside of you, motivating you and changing your heart and love for God. But there is this other part of you, this flesh in the Christian still, that wants to fight that. 
So I've sat in rooms with people where I've pleaded with them. Like, the trajectory of your life, I'm just looking at it, I'm watching it. You're not in, you're not in love with God. You're not regenerated by the Spirit. Just your life, you're just, you're just not exemplifying and living out that your life has been radically changed. And I've pleaded with people to see Jesus in the gospel. And in that, I've gotten people to the point, and I've sat with people and heard them say to me, you know what? You're right. I see what you're saying. I see it. But I'm just not ready to live for God like that. I'm just not ready to live for Jesus. Now, regardless of what they mean when they say that, and I'm not going to go into great depth about it, and I know that what can I do but pray to Jesus to open their eyes? Nothing. But what I'm getting at is everyone knows that to walk on the road called Jesus is death to you. It's death to yourself. You're walking on the road called self, the Holy Spirit comes in and goes, boop, and puts you on the road called Jesus, and on that road, it's tough. You die to your old self. The old self starts to die. That's a war. That's a struggle. So that's the nature of the war that Paul's describing. Now he gets into the aim of it. This is the aim of it. This is the purpose of it. He says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In Romans 8.13, he says it like this. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, you put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. He uses this word, crucify the flesh. And that's a, that's a helpful word. That's the charge. The image of crucifying sin is extremely helpful. Think of it like this. Crucifixion was not a quick death. It was torturous, humiliating. The purpose of it was you put a person up on a tree and they died slowly, in pain, exposed. So Paul says, take your sin, grab it by the neck, march it up the hill, nail it to the cross, let it wriggle there, let it writhe there, and just watch it die. That's what Paul says to do with our flesh. You know what those sins in your life are, right? You know what this flesh is in your life. The call of this text is get determined to drag it to the cross. Get determined to expose it at the cross. Let the love of God that is in you, empowered by the Holy Spirit, drive you to crush this sin. And know that too, you and me, if we are not actively crucifying the flesh, actively exposing our sin, right? In the, in the, even in the confines of community that we do here, that we live in, grabbing one or two people to just say, this is the flesh in me. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm struggling with. If we're not doing that, know that your flesh, our flesh, wants to kill us. It does. I'm not being dramatic when I say every glance at a woman would be adultery if it could be. It would be. 
Every small thought of, I really wish I had that person's house and their car would be murder if it could be. Every small bit of greed would be fraud, would be tax evasion. I promise. It's a serious war. When the stuff, when this sin, when the flesh pokes its head up, expose it. Crush it by the cross of Christ. Kill it with the power of the Spirit that brings love for God. Okay, this is an hourly, daily, lifelong thing. This is brutal. Some, uh, some closing application here. One of the things that I hope I'm getting across, and I think one of the things I tried to achieve if this was done well, was just simply to say that this is a war. Know that you're in war. Paul goes, hey, walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. He goes, hey, look it, look it. The flesh and the Spirit, they hate each other. They're against each other. Put to death your sin by crucifying it. One of the reasons that he does this is just to make us aware of the struggle. It's to make us aware of the war. If you didn't know that there was literal trench warfare going on outside of your house, what would happen if you didn't know? And you just walked outside to get the morning paper, which most people don't do anymore, or you went over to the mailbox and there were grenades going on and you had your headphones in, what would happen? You'd get blown up. You'd just get killed. You don't know that there's a war going on. You will constantly be confused as to what is happening in your life. You'll constantly and continually be trapped by this. And I don't think that a lot of Christians know that this is a war. I don't think that a lot of Christians know that they're called to this war. We just naturally go on with our lives forgetting about this stuff. We do. I do, all the time. If I don't wake up in the morning and set my mind to God, you're God, I'm not, I need the gospel today, or I'm going to live completely selfish all day long, I won't even think about you. If I don't do that on a daily basis, on my way to work, I'm going to want to look at the woman on the sidewalk in a way that is not godly, flesh. When I'm at work, I'll get happy that the guy I don't like has fallen out of favor with the boss, flesh. I come home from work, and the first thing I start to think about is, what is it that I need now? Flesh. So what is it for you? What is flesh in you? I hope that all I'm doing is pointing out today that you're at war and that I'm calling you to it, that the Bible is calling you to this. When you wake up in the morning, you start fighting. Last thing I want to say, and this is the most beautiful thing that I get to say, is that you fight this war from justification by faith. That is where you fight this war from. So the most important thing I get to say is that Jesus permanently won this war. Permanently. That's gospel. Jesus crushed and defeated sin, Satan, and death. You are fighting a winning war. Anyone paintball? Anyone like to paintball? If you don't, you might have, right? Why is paintball so fun? 
Because you get to run around and pretend like you're in war, but you're really not. You get to shoot people, right? But you're not at war. Paintballs don't kill. They might sting, but they're not bullets, right? Jesus turned this war into the flesh into paintball. That's what he did. You're in a war fighting your selfishness, and it can't kill you. You're called to fight this. It's beautiful. It's great. It's holy. It's godly. It is struggle. It is war. And to be clear, when you don't have Jesus, your war on the flesh is not paintball. It's not. You're fighting a war on the flesh with real bullets, and those bullets will kill. When you have Jesus, or I should say, when Jesus has you and you are in Jesus, by grace, through faith, you are permanently and irrevocably attached to Jesus. Some beautiful things that I get to say right now, I'll keep going. If you're fighting specific sin, if you're fighting a sin that keeps repeating itself, keeps cropping up, your flesh continually is peeking its head up and coming after you, and you're just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I am so defeated by this. What is going on? The beautiful thing that I get to say to you is, you're a Christian, you have Jesus, just keep fighting that sin. Keep repenting, right? Keep letting the love of the Spirit, the Spirit inside, draw you towards love for God, love for Christ. Keep coming into church after that. Keep living in gospel community. Keep exposing that stuff in your heart, in yourself. Grab it, take it to Calvary, and do that daily. So it's a wild thing to say from a Christian pulpit, but we say it here. It honestly doesn't matter how many times you sin as a Christian. I know that's wild. And, and notice I'm not saying keep on sinning, sinner. That's not what I'm saying. But if Jesus has saved you and you are indwelt by the Spirit, you can't be defeated by your sin. You have the Spirit, you have the power of God to fight the sin in your life, to fight the flesh in your life. You're free, okay? That's what I'm going to say. You're fighting a war from a position of strength. The Spirit is inside, drawing you to love God. So confess your sin and fight it, right? But only from this gospel position of justified in Jesus alone. That's where you fight this from. There's great power in that. That's walking in the Spirit. Pray with me. God, we bless your name for giving us your Holy Spirit, which we don't deserve, but in your grace, out of great love for us. You sent your Son. Jesus took our sin, removed it, and now we live by your Spirit. God, we pray that you would increasingly have us walk in the Spirit and not gratify the flesh. Holy Spirit of God, draw us to the cross, draw us to a life that lives to love God. We'll give you the praise for this. Amen.